is, is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins, and righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all these sins, this is the bit I went, ooh, I like this. If wicked people turn away from all their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. And we're in the New Testament, aren't we? And we're in the Old Testament. One God. Isn't this amazing? Listen to this. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, and they act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No. Of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten. And they will die for their sins. And yet you say the Lord isn't doing what's right. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I the one not doing what's right or is it you? When righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things, they will die for it. Yes, they will die because of their sinful things. And if wicked people turn from their wickedness, obey the law and do what is just and right, they will, will they save their lives? Yes. They will live because they fought it over and decided to turn from their sins. Such people will not die. And yet the people of Israel keep saying, the Lord isn't doing what's right. Oh, people of Israel, it is you who are not doing what's right, not I. And therefore I will judge you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all of your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O Israel, O people? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign. Turn. Live. You understand why I pushed pause and said, wow? We live as a society and as a people, and I'm speaking to the choir here when I look into the mirror, we live as a not-my-fault species. Don't we live as a not-my-fault species? Uh, Today, well not today, this week, I have broken two pieces of uh, eating ware. One plate, one mug. Wasn't my fault though, they were balanced precariously on the table. I did balance them there. But it's not my fault. Just just think through. How often do you put your hand up? Yeah, I did it. Speeding cop stops you. First thing you say is, oh officer, I'm so glad you stopped me. I was going 30 k's over the limit. First thing you say is, well what speed was I going? 
And it's the same here today as we, as we come to Ezekiel because <coughs> we're meeting a not my fault people just like us. And look, life was difficult for them. They were in exile. They were far away. They were in difficult places. There was a great military power that had right of rule over their lives. They were stuck there, feeling far from home, feeling far from family, feeling far from the temple, feeling maybe even far from God, even though God says, nonsense, I'm right here with you, through Ezekiel. And they've got years to look forward of oppression. 70 years of exile. They had been humiliated and discouraged. And so they thought, well, there's got to be a reason for this. Why are we suffering like this? And it can't be me because what? You see. And they turned to each other and they said, I remember a proverb. And by the way, this is a common proverb because Jeremiah says exactly the same proverb and says exactly what Ezekiel says about it. The proverb is, well, the children, well, the parents have eaten sour grapes and now the children's teeth are on edge. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, the parents have eaten sour grapes. The children are suffering for it. So what are they saying? They're looking at each other going, oh, life is so hard. The previous generation must have done something really, really rotten. Of course... None of your children would ever say anything like that. I'm sure. I'm sure they do. (laughs) And I'm sure you have said it about previous generations as well. Um, Hopefully not your own parents. But anyway, it's, it's a nice proverb because it very easily passes the buck. It's not my fault. I am suffering because of what they did. If there's a chance to blame somebody else, I'll take it. And I think you might take it as well. I'm trying not to take it, but I think each of us loves wriggling free from personal responsibility. It it started right back in Eden, remember? Um, Eve has a bite of the fruit, gives it to Adam. He's standing right there with her. He has a bite. God comes and finds them. They're hiding from him. God says, Adam, what have you done? Adam says, yeah, I had a bite, God. He says, God, your fault. You put this woman here. She gave it to me. It's your fault. It's her fault. I'm just blameless. Ooh. I'm sure that characteristic trait has not carried through to any men in this era. This is what we do. This is sin. Wriggling free. But, says God, that's not how the world really works. God says, actually, that's not even how I work. He says to them in verse 3 and 4, he says, right, shut up with that saying. No more of it. Because it's just, that's not really true. Yeah, yes, there's some truth to it. Yes, there is some truth. Remember in Exodus, God says that, that he, he hands on the sin of one generation to another. He shows love to generation after generation. And, and if they rebel, then, then the consequences follow through to generation after generation. And, and we know that there is this generational result of, of, of sin. It's obvious. If, and, and we discussed that a little bit and said, well, if, if 
a parent over here decides to sin, then he sets a context and a precedent, and, and the child learns that this is normal and learns to sin. And, and unless he is brought to knowing God and brought to a place where he sees this isn't right, then, then probably he's just going to follow on in that line. Which is why God amazingly sends prophets and sends the church into the world to say, hey, God calls you to something else. But, but there is this thing where, where generations of sin do have consequences for the future. We know this. Um, uh, all the families that are divorced, and there's many divorced families, that has effects on the children. And it can have incredibly hurtful and dramatic effects on the children. And so God does visit the sin of one generation on another in as much as he doesn't limit the effects of their sin to their life. I mean, when they die, what they did still has an effect. And it affects others. And yet says God, by quoting that proverb, the parents have eaten sour grapes and now our mouths are puckering. You're missing the point. Because that is only a small part of the picture because for every single generation and every single person, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We have a choice whether to follow in the, the path of our ancestors to sin or to live righteously. Or we have a choice to say, this is, I'm going to go another way. I'm going to go follow God. And Ezekiel says we've even got the choice to say, my parents were righteous, I'm choosing to not follow God. Each of us has a choice. And, and, and this generation that Ezekiel is writing to, they can't just say it was our parents' fault because they deserve their punishment just as much as their parents do. They chose to rebel against God just as much as their parents did. God says, shut up with that proverb because everyone belongs to me, verse 4. I'm in charge of all lives and when I judge, I judge fairly and I judge according to the truth. I'm in control of judgment and I judge you as individuals. Somebody said to me, um, generational sin and God's judgment on groups happens in groups, but eternal judgment happens one on one. You and God. And so Ezekiel says here we have a choice and he gives us this, this fantastic um, situation with the three generations of father and son. And what he's really, God's pointing out to us, he says that there is a choice for us to make. Sin is always a matter of choice. It's often a matter of habit. Let's be honest. I, I sin because I'm used to sinning. You sin because you're used to sinning, whatever your sin is. But, but it's also a matter of choice. In verses 5 to 9, he gives us his example of a righteous man who, who, who avoids false religion, uh, avoids lust, avoids sexual immorality, verse 6. 
He's generous to people. He doesn't rob them. He doesn't steal from them. He, he lives honestly, verse 8. He lives decently. He, he keeps God's laws. He doesn't go and worship other gods. And, and God looks at this man and says, this man is living according to my ways. He's, he's someone who is following me. Remember when we looked at the Ten Commandments, we said that that it's not just about a list of checkpoints to make God happy. It's God saying, I've saved you, now would you live like I live? Would you be like me? And God says, well here is one man who by his life, you look at him, and he is living like me. And he says, someone like that is living. He will live. He's being like me. And then he goes on and he gives us a, a second generation. And this... This is the kind of child that would have made his dad weep. Because his dad is such a good man. And I know that there are people here who will be in the situation. Who, who fear God and who love Jesus and follow him. And their children, maybe not to this extent, but, but have rejected that. And this poor man, his kid, is a criminal. And he, he practices false religion. He doesn't worship God. He, he is sexually immoral. He exploits others. He, he does basically everything his dad does good. He does bad. And God says, well, he will die for his own sins. Just because dad is good doesn't mean that he gets a free pass. And then he is a son who is as much a disappointment to him as he was to his father because his, his son is good like his father and loves God and he honors God and he follows God. And, and in his life you see the effects of that because he does all the things which are like the things that God does. He, he is a good person. And so we've got innocent, guilty, innocent. And, and, and it's not, you, you can't say, well, this man... If it's generational, he should have been like his father, but he's not. He chose to be wicked. And well, his son, he should have been like his father, sour grapes, puckering mouths. But no, he chose to follow God. And the point here is that there is a choice. And, and what you do, if, if you follow God, you live. And if you don't follow God, you die. And we're not just talking of... The first death, we're talking of eternal life and eternal death. And some of you might read that and go, ooh. If you do all of this, you will live. And if you do all of that, you will... This sounds a lot like legalism, Nick. This sounds a lot like, do this, do this, do this. God looks down and goes, yep, 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 done. Into heaven with you. But it's not. It's really not. Because God is not saying, I believe, that the better you behave, the more likely you will be to get into heaven. And we know from the rest of the Bible that it is God who saves, and it is not by works, lest anyone should boast. It is through faith. But the Bible also says that faith without works is dead. And we see that in James chapter 2 verse 17. I put it to you that you cannot be a man of trust and faith without that change in your life. I mean, isn't that wonderful story of Abraham? God said to him, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. 
I will lead you into this promised land, and your descendants will be great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless you, and, and, and I will bless the whole world through you. And Abraham said, that's fantastic, God. I was tra- chatting to someone about this, saying, God wants to bless us. That is fantastic, God, so much. I'm just looking forward to it. Um, tell, me, tell me when it arrives. Or Jesus, as he's walking, and he sees the disciples in the boat with their father, and he says, come, follow me. And they go, whip out his tablet and say, yep, what's your tweet now? (laughs) Or give me your Facebook address. (laughs) No, if we really trust God, we follow him. I mean, what, what did Jesus say? He said, follow me. If you've got your Bibles, just flick quickly with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, we're just going to have a quick read of that. We read there, it says, Paul writes, God saved you by his grace. By the way, grace, grace is God giving himself to us. But that's the best definition of grace I've ever heard. Grace is God with us. God saved you by his grace by coming to us when you believed. And you you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. You see what it's saying? We are saved by grace. We're saved by God coming to us. It's not of us. We can't boast. Uh, it's not because we've done good enough. It's not that, well, I've, I, I've ticked all the boxes of Ezekiel of the good generations. God says, yeah, that's good. I'm glad. But it's not about that saving you. He says here, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us, listen to this, anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Same thing there. It says, save so that we can live it out. Christian life, the life of faith, is the life of action. God's people should act like God's people. And if we act like the world, aren't we of the world? Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. Because I do things that you would look at me and go, Christian. And I know each of you do things that you would look at you and go, Christian. But what is, what is the flavor of our lives? Are we so trusting God that our lives are changing flavor to be like Jesus? To be like God. Do people look at you and go, you know what? Something strange about that person. Do they look at you and go, you know what? I think they love God. Or do they look at you and go, ah, life of the party. Or do they look at you and go, life of the party, but in a way that is different to everyone else. I mean, it's true that sin casts long shadows. Um, how you bring up your kids is going to influence maybe how they practice their lives. The way 
you speak to each other uh, will affect how they speak to people. If one generation fails to be faithful to God, the next generation is put into a place where that's where they're starting at. And yet we have a choice to make. And says Paul, says Ezekiel here, says God through Ezekiel in verses 19 to 20, what we choose affects what God says about us. Um, we can't just say I act out of habit because even habit begins with a choice. But verses 21 to 30 is the bit I really love. Because this, I think, shows us something of, we've, we've seen there previously the justice of God, but, but have a look at the heart of God, the same God, the same heart from Genesis to Revelation. I just love this bit. 21, 22, God says it's not where you start off that determines where you, how God judges you, it's where you finish. It's not where you start that determines how God looks at your life, it's where you finish. And, and it, it's wonderful. Uh, somebody once said, I would love to have all of the young people in our church have boring lives, have boring testimonies. Wouldn't it be fantastic if there were boring testimonies in your family? Kids who said, well, I just, I just grew up knowing God. Wouldn't it be fantastic? But, but you know what? I don't care if you've known God since you were two or whether you've known God since five minutes ago. Because as far as God is concerned, it's where you finish that matters, not where you start. And God's justice, we've seen, says your individual response to God, how you choose to live, do you follow Him or not, that determines how God will judge you. But God's heart says, I don't want to see anyone die. And I love what he says here, verse 23, he says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and I want them to live. And then God, I just love God because He's given us His general. I don't want to see anyone die. Verse 32, it's like He stops. You know when somebody stops and they just zone in on you and they're looking right into your soul through your eyes. And God says, not, I don't want to see all the wicked people die. What does He say? He says, I don't want you to die. Ooh, spine tingling. God looks at me and says, I don't want you to die. God looks at you and says, I don't want you to die. Wow. And the way to escape, it's easy to walk according to God's ways. Follow me, says Jesus. How do we do that? I, I, I try. I can try my hardest and I will flop. And God says, what's easy? Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. They don't sell it at the deli down the road. Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. He said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Or born from above. You need to be changed. You need a new something, a new heart, a new spirit. Go home today. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. Do you know what the best bit about that is? few chapters before, God says, I am going to give you a new heart, and I am going to give you a new spirit. And then flip forward and read Mark chapter 1 through to Mark chapter 16, and then say thank you. Wow. 
God's justice might seem unfair. What if a wicked person right at the end of their life becomes a Christian? Pol Pot, Hitler. Well, if they truly turn and repent, God says it's where you finish that matters. The challenge for us, what if a righteous person at the end of their life, so you've spent all your life being good, right at the end you go, I don't need you, God. Well, we have security as believers, but the Bible holds both of that and our personal responsibility up at the same time and says, you know what? If you reject God, He is not the sort of God to go, too late. And that's grace. Salvation isn't about God weighing up good and bad. Salvation is about God going, you know what? I'll look at you now. And if you have turned to me and you've said, sorry, I have forgotten. Didn't you love that word in there? I have forgotten the wicked. And the warning is that God is just as forgetful about righteousness. Because what matters is whether we're following him when he calls us home. Or elsewhere. Uh, you have a picture on your bulletin of the Madonna del Cardellino. Madonna of the Goldfinch. Um, it's, and we'll we're, we're finish here. It's a painting you'll see on the left and the right. is the same painting, but one of them is restored. This was painted in 1505 by Raphael uh, for a friend's wedding. Uh, Fifty years later, the house in which it was kept had an earthquake and the painting shattered into 14 pieces. And they tried their best to put it together with nails and thick paints. And you can kind of see there, that is a partially restored one, the, the grungy looking one. It looks really bad, the original one, with thick white lines over the cracks. Uh, and what they did is that they, they managed, uh, in 2008 I think it was, to, to put it together. To restore it and bring out details that hadn't been seen for hundreds of years. I mean, it's, it's quite easy for us to be, it's not my fault people. And yet everyone looks at us and sees nails and cracks and white lines here and white lines there. <coughs> because it is our fault. There's been an earthquake in our lives called sin and it has ruined us. We're still masterpieces. That painting, ruined as it was, was a masterpiece. Hanging in museums. But we're ruined masterpieces. And what we need is a new heart and a new spirit and we need to be cleansed. And it takes time. It took ten years to make this painting look like it does in the bottom corner. It takes a lifetime. And even then, God still has to make us new. And right at the end, we will be like Jesus. And we will be a shining masterpiece because we will be like Him. I love this chapter. I love it because it shows us the heart of God and the justice of God. God is fully just, but His heart sings.
Sehr gut.